Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders and rolling out zero trust architectures. With me on today's show are Matt Connor, Chief Information Security Officer, Office of the Director of National Intelligence, Tanya Manning, Director and Chief Information Security Officer at EPA, Gerald Karen, Chief Information Officer, Health and Human Services, Office of the Inspector General, Paul Caspian, Principal Product Manager of Zero Trust Palo Alto Networks, Akiba Saidi, Vice President, IBM Security Federal, Tony D'Angelo, Vice President, U.S. Public Sector, Lookout. Well, the executive order has been out for over a year. Of course, SolarWinds uh, even before that. And uh, well, this panel recognizes that this is a journey and you've been on it for several years. Matt, let's start with you. Give us a state of the state of zero trust across the intelligence community. Uh, thanks, Anne. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I characterize the state of zero trust right now as maturing. Um, as you say, the, zero, the executive order enshrined the imperatives to adopt a zero trust architecture. Most of the community members were already moving in that direction. The subsequent national security memorandum released in January of 2022 further codified the intent for the uh, federal government and national security system operators to adopt zero trust principles. We've been working on this for a while, as you might suspect. Um, from the IC CISO view, uh, one of the things we've been working on is our implementation plan to overhaul cyber across the community. And we built the building blocks into the implementation plan to lay the groundwork for quickly accelerating to zero trust outcomes. It really is a, a, a framework and architecture building blocks, right? It's a, it's a journey that we're all on. Tanya, uh, tell us the state of the state about what's happening at EPA. Good afternoon, and thank you for hosting this forum. It's very informative. I appreciate sharing and hearing from my colleagues, so I'm looking forward to learning today. Um, but as you mentioned, uh, Luke, and EPA recognizes that zero trust architecture and the principles underneath it and getting there is definitely a journey. It is not a sprint. And we did kind of set off sprinting, right? So uh, requirements are issued and you have 60 or 120 or 90 days to implement. So we were sprinting, but we took a step back and recognized that is actually a journey. And then looking at uh, many of the implementation strategies that we'd already put in place, uh, you know, so we started the journey early on aligning to the risk management framework and aligning to the minimum standards established by FISMA. So we, we recognized that we needed a good strong foundation. We very quickly adopted the CDM um, model and we implemented starting with identity and verification, identifying the assets and the people that were on our network, which was one of the things that keeps me up at night, right? If I don't know who's on a network and what devices and what they're doing, then that's a challenge for us. So we quickly uh, moved to implement continuous monitoring and identity and access management solutions uh, to give us some sense of what was going on in our network. Um, so we did move forward with multi-factor authentication um, for some for our employees, as well as uh, virtual smart cards for temporary visitors and guests, just to make sure we had a strong hold on who they were and a strong hold on their authorization to our environment. Uh, we also focused on data. Right. So we're protecting systems. A lot of times in IT, we focus on systems and network, but we also had to put some fundamental protections to safeguard our data. 
Uh, so we deployed encryption technologies. We also deployed some solutions to help with um, identifying and encrypting our data as well as uh, preventing the inadvertent release of data, right? So we put some data loss prevention uh, protections in the environment also. One of the things we recognize being a research organization is that we have to uh, spend time protecting and safeguarding our laboratory equipment. So we focused on looking at internet of thing policies and procedures, something that is fairly new to us, right? So we're reaching out um, across the space to, to learn more about securing those environments. Um, and we're also focused on bringing those environments into the enterprise fold. Right now, to protect the uh, integrity of the information, a lot of those environments are isolated. So how do we bring those into the enterprise fold and get visibility into making sure we're able to address any vulnerabilities there? Um, we also migrated to cloud, right? Cloud adoption. So in a sense, the zero trust strategy brought a lot of previous requirements together and helped us with a clear focus and direction to get us toward our zero trust architecture. Right, really uh, puts a framework together that you can take these Lego blocks and start kind of snapping them in and, and you know, as far as uh, uh, you know, following a, a structure and an architecture. No doubt you have a lot of uh, interaction with uh, the scientific community, et cetera. I'm sure that gets a little tricky. And I know that at HHS, there's a tremendous amount of interaction uh, uh, outside of, of, of the uh, human and health services as far as uh, interaction with various health communities, et cetera. Gerald, why don't you tell us about the state of the state about what's happening in your domain in regards to the zero trust journey? Sure. Thanks for having me here. So um, I, I, before the executive order even, even came out, when I arrived right. here, I um, introduced zero trust to the staff. So it was an education to be had. Um, and I find that across the federal government, there's still education to be had around zero trust. Uh, but the approach was to take a um, functional capabilities model that we had about um, 50 or so functional capabilities. We inventory that because we wanted to make the most of our investment and see what we were doing well, what we needed to work on, as well as where our gaps were or what we need to do a lot more work on. So from that, we were able to gauge what we needed, where we were doing good, and then we were able to start identifying um, projects to fill those gaps. So we understood where our as-is was and what that journey needs to be in between for, for all, the, all five of the pillars. In doing so, we've set out on five foundational projects. That's integrating a lot of the telemetry we have because we need that to make decisions on, doing data mapping so we can understand where the data flow is going, where the data is resides as well so we can get that baseline uh, we putting in a sock as a service so getting that monitoring in place uh, 24 7 was very important we're also looking at what we call a secure web gateway or a sassy so we can send our users more direct to their destination it being cloud and internet usually rather than having to boomerang them back through a tick mm. and we are also maturing our identity management program and making sure that we have some legacy applications that contribute to that today, um, but we want to make it more sustainable and more mature. So from those five projects, we'll be able to jump off as stepping stones into the rest of the roadmap and the pillars that we have inventoried, but we want to make the most of our investments. So, you know, we have a lot of tools, we have a lot of telemetry already, so we want to make the most of that going forward. Yeah, and I hear that a lot about, hey, look, there's a lot of tools and capabilities already in place, and we just simply need to configure them a, a way into this framework, unlock them. Uh, Paul, no doubt you, you, you get a lot of those calls. 
you've seen a lot of this sort of striped across the various sectors and the various agencies. Uh, tell us uh, sort of what are you seeing from your perspective? Yeah, I think uh, last year with the executive order, obviously, there was um, a lot of visibility and urgency around zero trust. But one thing that was lacking, I think, was kind of clarity around where to start, you know, how, how expansive uh, zero trust initiatives should be. Um, I think the OMB memo earlier this year obviously provides some very prescriptive guidance on um, sort of the different requirements that, that organizations should think about. And, you know, as a, as an, as a company, uh, Palatine Networks, we spend a lot of time with groups like NIST and the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, um, helping to figure out really prescriptive guides to how to take security tools that, that folks are using in their environments and use them to do zero trust, essentially. I think there's been a bit of a gap between sort of what people you know, know they need to do and, and how to, sort of how to go do that. Um, but I, I think there's a lot more clarity now, a lot more urgency, obviously, and uh, we've just been spending a lot of time with customers, you know, helping them navigate that, really. There's no question that the White House loves their sprints, and uh, so I think sprints are important. They're lazy. I can get away with saying that now. Um, uh, the, 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 there's no question that they get the uh, community laser focused, but I think uh, Tanya pointed out, uh, it is a journey, and you have to be thoughtful about the moves you're going to make. Akiba, I'm sure you're seeing this uh, from a various uh, uh, multi-dimensional standpoint. Uh, give us your point of view, IBM's point of view, what you're seeing out there across the community. Yeah, thank you, Luke, and um, really appreciate being here. And, and really, uh, I think everything I've heard so far from from everyone that's that's spoken is very consistent um, with a lot of what we've been hearing and seeing as well. I'll give you one data point. That's a bit more of a global data point to sort of see how we read against the rest of the world. Um, we just released last week our cost of a data breach report, which is done by an independent um, group that studies 550 breaches across 17 industries across 17 countries. And one of the things that started to be measured last year was zero trust implementations. And this year again. So one of the data points there in that in that report was that zero trust implementations were up 35 to 41%. So there definitely is progress moving towards that direction. Um, and that those that are doing zero trust have about a million dollars of savings against the breaches that they are incurring. I think one of the other points of progress, and I, I'm really happy to hear most of everyone speaking today, there's a the, the journey, not the destination. I think there was a lot of confusion introduced into the market with, hey, you implement this tool and you will have zero trust in some amount of time. That is, I, I think we're getting to the point now where, you know, that's just not the accepted approach anymore. And the principles of least privilege verify continuously and assume breach, um, which also the, the cost of a data breach report absolutely verified, you know, 83% of the organizations that have not just one breach, but experiencing multiple breaches, right? So there's no, there's no not having a breach. It is how do you now detect, respond, and most effectively mitigate. And so the adoption of the zero trust principles helps everyone sort of along that journey. I do think um, there is, uh, there's definitely been a lot of us working with organizations to translate from that buzzword of zero trust, because it has kind of taken on a bit of a life of its own, to practical roadmaps. And all the dimensions of what have already been described in all the pillar areas are true. I think one of the things we have really seen is the, the less about the tools, more about the governance, the people, the process, and a lot about the culture and the alignment with the, the, the um, business side, the administration side, and what the impacts are for the end users. We spend a lot of time working with organizations through some of those issues um, because some of those become the roadblocks more than the, the technology and how things actually get implemented. So I will um, I'll sort of leave it, I'll leave it there for now. Thank you. And, and uh, you know, the last time we had uh, a zero trust topic on culture was brought up as well. And I think you're right. You quickly get past the speeds and the feeds and the, 
and the specific technologies into, okay, well, what, what is this capability going to unlock, so to speak? <clears throat> Tony at Lookout, <clears throat> you know, Lookout uh, back in the day uh, uh, dominated the mobile space and then very quickly ha have now uh, uh, grown into much more than that. And just in time, I might add. So Tony, tell us about from your perspective, from Lookout's perspective, what are you seeing across the public sector? Yeah, good afternoon, Luke, good to be with you. Um, yeah, great, great question. So you're right, our, our, our roots are, uh, are in mobile security and uh, but uh, with the um, with the expansion of our, our, our business into cloud security and, and SASE, as, as it was mentioned earlier with, with some of the other folks, uh, it is perfect timing. What we're seeing from the agencies is very consistent with, with what I've heard today. I think uh, generally most people, because this, is, this, uh, this, this is notion of zero trust is so transformational, um, it's not as simple as go evaluate the technology and, and make some acquisitions and then begin to implement. There's the, I, I think we're, we're, we're seeing folks take their time. There's this, uh, um, this process of assessing where they are, learning what the zero trust uh, elements are and, and how that fits into their organization. And then I think the most important thing and, and what I, I'm pleased to say that with all the, um, the agencies that we've been talking to, we're, we're trying to act as a trusted advisor and, and share what we believe are the, are, are, are the proper ways to address this. And, and we see people doing just that where they're looking at this whole problem holistically and, and putting together a wide scale plan that includes endpoint, the mobile endpoint, all the way up to including cloud security within this uh, thought process of continuous conditional access, all, all the pieces and parts. So we're, we're encouraged by what we're seeing. Again, I think it's so transformational and it's such a big undertaking that it would be a mistake if people were to leap forward and begin to start making quick acquisitions on, on pieces and parts of technology and expect that it's all gonna to fit together later. Um, one of the things that we're, we're trying to educate on as well is where possible, particularly where there's, uh, there, there's policies, uh, security policies that can be put in place try to acquire as many of those different solutions from the same vendors to, to minimize policy overlap or underlap, because that's going to be critical from the, not only the end user's experience, but the IT administrator's uh, experience and, and how, to, how to manage this whole process. And, uh, and, and as you mentioned with mobile, I think uh, partly um, not only was, was, has mobile been growing and, and all, you know, roughly 70% of all internet traffic goes through a mobile device today, but the desire to, uh, access government assets with mobile devices continues to increase. Um, COVID has, has certainly increased that. Telework is not going away. So that, that need to, um, to treat mobile as any other endpoint and secure it um, is gonna be critical. And then also as, as the pandemic wanes, we're, we're seeing return to travel. So that means um, you know, free Wi-Fi um, and then trying to access again, some of these networks uh, out in the, in the public forum with, with little to no security. So again, back to continuous conditional access, trust no device, trust no network, trust no user. And uh, it's not a single log on and, and everything is fine. It's just this notion that we're, we're continuously testing and evaluating um, behavior analytics, right? There's so many pieces that go into this. So very pleased to see what we're seeing from the agencies and uh, they, they certainly have more work to do, but it's a big undertaking. And I think uh, it's, it's, it's gonna take a couple more years for, you know, before everybody is really comfortable and, and executes where they need to be. Sounds like a great report. Um, Gerald, you came in, uh, you came in uh, hot over there, so to speak, and, uh, and, and, and spent a lot of time focusing on apparently education in respect to what a zero trust framework would look like then started to build. Give us an example of a, a program, a specific piece of that, 
that you'd like to highlight that uh, is really uh, took off, let's say? Yeah, one of the things we're, we're working on is a proof of concept for doing the, our data mapping, understand what that normal looks like. Because at the end of the day, I'm trying to protect data. Some people will say, you know, they focus on the identity, which is very important. But, you know, if you got compromised and I was a cybersecurity analyst, first thing I'm probably going to ask is, what did you have access to and is there exfil? So, you know, it does become about the data at the end of the day, what I'm trying to protect. But I need to know where that data is and where that data is going um, to kind of get that baseline. So when something does happen that's not normal, I can kind of take that appropriate action um, in, in real time as possible. So definitely automation is going to come into play as we go on our zero trust journey here. So that's something that I think that's very important. Um, another thing that we have done is we've educated our user base. I call them our fans and I want to make them part of the team. So as part of our fans, what when I call them our fans, I kind of think of the football. We got the people working, uh, playing on the field, which are making zero trust happen. We got the sidelines, the project managers, program managers. We got the C-suite who's making sure that the team has resources that it needs and the priorities. But we do this for our fans. Um, so that's, we're not just making this like an IT problem where we're back in our IT shop and our Frankenstein lab uh, creating security and going to throw it out there. We're actually asking them, you know, what do they need access to? When do they need access? And how do they want to be able to access it? Not how do they do it necessarily, but how do they want so we can build those requirements in? So we're educating them on zero trust. There's going to be this journey. Things are probably going to change. But we're going to try to bring you benefits as well, like send you more direct, but still, you know, have our security in place rather than boomeranging you to a data center and sending you back out. Very inefficient, you know, more seamless movement between platforms, uh, data to the right people at the right time when they need it. Make sure that that data has its integrity, but also we need from them. What data do they need access to? Where is that data? What applications are they using most to access that data? How do they want to do it? So we can build in those requirements. And then what we get is we get easier adoption uh, because we're building this in for them. So we've already started early education. Um, they may not be seeing the effects of anything we're doing yet necessarily, but they are aware that things are going to happen and they may change. So we are buying them in early so that they can be participants and Basically, they need to be part of the team because that's the mission we support. Love the fan base approach and the, uh, the uh, cooperation and collaboration there so that uh, it's a win-win on both sides. So <clears throat> excellent approach there. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Moving to a hybrid multi-cloud infrastructure means your resources are also likely scattered throughout multiple IT environments with varying levels of visibility and control. Without context, it's difficult to know if you're making the right decision with your data. With IBM's Zero Trust Security Strategy, your organization can increase their cyber resiliency and manage the risks of a disconnected business environment, all while securely connecting users to the right data at the right time. For more information on IBM cybersecurity solutions, go to dlt.com slash government dash product slash IBM. Everyone is working everywhere, and data goes with you. On endpoints, to the cloud, and everywhere in between. Lookout delivers an integrated endpoint to cloud security solution, giving you full visibility, keeping data secure, no matter where it's stored, how it is transmitted, or who has access, helps your agency provide granular and dynamic zero trust. Lookout is available through Kerasoft. Learn more at kerasoft.com lookout. 
The recent executive order and OMB strategy have federal agencies moving toward a zero-trust cybersecurity model fast. Palo Alto Networks, trusted partner to federal agencies, has the technology and experience to guide your agency's zero-trust journey. Our enterprise and cloud offerings can protect the government's mission in civilian and defense operating environments while supporting your agency's zero-trust strategy and implementation. Join Palo Alto Networks' VP of Public Sector and retired Major General John Davis as he talks to federal leaders about strategy and best practices to accelerate your zero trust journey. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about zero trust. We're just getting into specific programs. And uh, what, Paul, uh, how about if you can highlight a specific program uh, that you would like to uh, inform the listening audience with? Yeah, I mean, um, one thing I'll kind of touch on is that. Um, I think when we talk to customers about how to get started with zero trust, uh, we try to help them kind of break it up into pieces. Um, we right. saw with the start of the, the pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. that um, a lot of people focused on things like ZTNA use cases, right? And users as an example. Um, some of the things we've been focusing on a little bit more, and I heard that alluded to in, in some of the earlier um, comments, but um, extending zero trust to the broader infrastructure, right? Extending it to cloud native applications, same kinds of the best practices, We've helped customers extend it to things like IoT, as an example. And I think generally, um, these types of use cases aren't top of mind uh, for a lot of organizations because they've been so heavily focused on the user aspect or the hybrid workforce, remote access type of aspect. Um, So we are starting to see a lot more of that where um, organizations are making more of a holistic zero trust strategy uh, that has a lot of uh, sponsorship at high levels with with executives and leaders. And they're kind of creating this systematic approach where they're, they may have started with users, they may have started with identity, which are really nice places to start with zero trust, but they're starting to really think about, you know, how do I extend those same things like lease privilege and segmentation and continuous monitoring to my cloud native applications and to my IoT infrastructure and to my supply chain and to other parts of my, my infrastructure. So um, those are projects that we're starting to see a lot more of. Someone mentioned, I think, um, briefly the SOC and the role of the SOC with Zero Trust. We're also starting to see a lot of projects of SOC modernization where they're working to have better uh, visibility into how those Zero Trust policies are working or not working. Um, They're starting to automate and orchestrate a lot more so that if they do see something anomalous, they can enforce quickly or take action quickly. So um, those are some of the things I'm seeing. I'm definitely seeing a maturity in how uh, customers and organizations think about zero trust and some of those resulting projects seem to be a lot more um, broad in nature and a lot more um, targeted to other parts of the infrastructure that maybe the uh, organizations weren't thinking about in relation to zero trust. Yeah, you're certainly seeing the IoT, you, you said the magic word supply chain, embedded systems, collateral systems. Uh, obviously, this concept uh, broadens out into all those areas. Matt, speaking of all those, you have those in spades and some, uh, but why don't you give us an, an example, a specific program you'd like to highlight uh, that's part of the, you know, the overall zero trust framework? Well, it's hard to identify a specific program uh, given the nature of, of our business, but the mm-hmm. most successful programs that we've got now implementing zero trust are, are those who have set out to, uh, to build this into their architecture. And so we're seeing a lot of conformance to enterprise architecture and these design patterns for zero trust that capitalize on enterprise services. And I like what Paul was saying there, so sort of about broad access. Um, we Our programs now that are building on our federated identity and access control solutions uh, that are building on our enterprise data management, data governance 
solutions. Uh, those systems that are starting to characterize the business rules around their sensitive data in order to enforce those uh, that access control, those are off to the, the best start at this point. And what we see is that they have been planning for this for years. Uh, this is not a Johnny come lately. This is not a bolt on as directed by the executive order or the national security memorandum or OMB directive. Uh, these are forward leaning programs that have been tracing this um, from, from back from probably beyond corp days, if we can go all the way back to the origins of zero trust. Uh, so uh, more and more of those systems that face the enterprise that provide sort of core services across the community uh, are really have appreciated and built in zero trust rather than bolting it on. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> very good point there. Tony, I'm gonna go to you. Um, I, I, again, I know you see this from a lot of different perspectives in regards to how this capability is being rolled out. Do you wanna bring up a, a highlight a program, maybe an agency that you're seeing rolling this out and uh, just the perspective there? Yeah, there, uh, we're seeing similar things across DOD and civilian in that existing programs that might, might have been for a, a point solution or a very specific project are now expanding to, to you know, with, with this wrapper of, of zero trust around it. So um, I, before an acquisition is made, before um, uh, the project pursues any further, it's, it's how does this fit into the zero trust architecture? So I think that that's good. A lot of the um, you know, specific individual purchases are, uh, or I should say acquisitions around point products that does not fit well with zero trust and a lot of the way that you know federal procurement uh, has run is not well suited for a lot of those types of things i think zero trust is going to fit better into the programs maybe run similar to like like a cdm or run by a large federal systems integrator i think because there's so many elements and facets to it i, I think that that will bode well for the future as as uh, zero trust gets implemented um, across the spectrum. What, one example um, uh, within DOD that started out as a mobile security program has, has quickly broadened to include uh, cloud security solutions as well, because they see that it's not just the endpoint, it's endpoint to the cloud. It's not just securing a device, it's securing the user, the uh, um, the data and, 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 and very specifically, we were looking at use cases around what type of data are we, are we trying to protect? Um, electronic health records is a great example of protecting personal health information. You look at uh, mobile devices that uh, for, for patient care, um, those are all critical things and they're all attaching to networks. That data is important. That data needs to be secured by these cloud security solutions like CASB and ZTNA and, some, and, and Secure Web Gateway, other things that we've talked about in the past. So I'm seeing this, uh, this, this trend to, to uh, in, in, again, include these zero trust elements and cloud security solutions uh, in, in projects that didn't necessarily start out that way. Yeah, it's an interesting and uh, excellent example and scenario there, <clears throat> being that, you know, 60 to 80% of these applications, now the first port is a mobile device, right? So, I mean, it only makes sense to be doing that. And I'm sure that's going to continue to increase. Tanya, how about at uh, EPA? You want to give us a specific example of a yes. program you'd like to highlight? Sure. So, so staying on that mobile uh, mobility and mobile workforce, uh, many of us were faced with needing to quickly make adjustments and adapt to um, the closure of government facilities due to the pandemic. So on any given day, our employee, we'd have maybe 15% of our workforce teleworking and moving to 100% required adjustment. 
we had to um, really shore up licensing and relook re at and take another uh, evaluation of the safeguards we had in place to help our users protect themselves from themselves. Because when you're working from home, sometimes those rules and regulations that you're following in the office kind of go by the wayside. So we had to quickly um, expand our virtual private network capability. Uh, we had to look at ways to um, do monitoring of our devices that were non-networked. So up until the pandemic, we were focused on uh, in-office network protections. We then had to deploy solutions to our devices when they were not connected. Uh, so we deployed data loss prevention tools. We deployed um, the virtual private network as I spoke about, but we also focused on web content solutioning to identify any malicious um, attempts at from websites that our users were going to do, where they traditionally did not, but then also blocking that malicious traffic. So we had to really focus on the endpoints that were working remotely. And we did a pretty good job at that. We also had to focus on addressing those vulnerabilities that were now newly introduced to our environment from our users going to websites they did not traditionally go to. So we deployed some remote sensors to those devices, brought them into the network fold, and then really started to uh, help and decrease the number of vulnerabilities that were now being introduced due to the remote workforce. Sounds like you had a lot of great activities going on there. Yeah, I had a fellow, uh, uh, actually current CIO uh, yesterday tell me that, uh, yeah, in the home, uh, we often discover uh, uh, a lack of inherent security controls. So I thought that was a nice way of putting that. Akiba, um, again, you're seeing this from a lot of different perspectives. You wanna give us a, an example of a program that you'd like to highlight it sort of enlightens this journey that everyone's on in regards to zero trust. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, I think I'll, I'll start broad and then narrow into two specific examples. I think one of the things in in this space so we've run a lot of we have sort of an approach of these zero trust workshops to help sort of elicit out you know where someone needs to start their journey, and we've done this now for a couple of years. And and after sort of working in this space for a bit, we've sort of seen four broad use case categories be where everyone starts, and we tend to promote more of that outcome and use case based approach because the pillars and maturing in the pillars is incredibly important. But when you look at a, a scenario like uh, ransomware or you look at a scenario like securing the remote workforce, you're touching the identity, what data and applications they're accessing, you're sort of going across those pillars. So the four main areas that we've seen are business disruption and ransomware, which is the only one actually that I haven't heard quite as much about so far. Tanya actually hit all three of the ones in her opening comments, the, the next three. Um, and everyone's talked about privacy of data and, and customer and client um, privacy, protecting the hybrid cloud and uh, securing the remote workforce. What we have seen is because of the pandemic, that last one has become the main starting point for many organizations. Mm -hmm. And so down to get into some specific projects, um, you know, one example of that, and specifically because of the remote workforce, right? It, it, mm -hmm. the, the internet becomes the network uh, in many respects. And so how do you enable secure access to that? And so it is implementing SASE solutions and getting started in those some of those types of areas, which has really enabled the business priority of keeping the end user productivity. And that is the critical point is aligning with, you know, where the, the organizational priorities are with good success. There's another one, and, and there are those implementations and there are those, you know, sort of next generation ways of thinking about some of that. But to go back to the cultural aspect for a minute, I want to highlight a different project that I think illustrates this in a different way. After going through you know, several months of, you know, working through very detailed assessments and organizational issues and how do we build out a roadmap for a zero trust architecture with one organization. 
Um, you know, it was very clear in the gaps. Um, yes, there were some areas like data and application security that really needed shoring up. But one of the biggest pain points, they didn't have a RACI in place. They didn't have any clear roles and responsibilities for when an incident occurred. How did they deal with that across the different silos, right? The silos continue to be one of the roadblocks, if you will, in effectively responding when a breach does occur, when an incident does occur. And so being able to work with them to actually get those clear roles and responsibilities, to be able to actually get people in place in certain areas they didn't have them that were limiting their ability to effectively respond, right? That I equally point that project out as I do the one where, yes, there was a new technology implemented and it helped create, you know, a, a, a more mature and an advancing sort of next generation approach, if you will, around securing access with the reality of how people are accessing device, you know, from different devices in, in, in the environment. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So I, uh, I'll kind of leave it there, but uh, sure. just two, two different examples from a technology and kind of the people point of view. Very informed examples. I really do appreciate that. We are going to roll to priorities. Tanya, I'm going to start with you. Top two priorities for you in regards to, I know there's a lot of different pieces of zero trust. What are the top two things that you all are focused on this year in regards to zero trust? Right. So we want to continue to align to the federal strategy and um, mature the processes that we have in place currently. Um, we have implemented multi-factor authentication, but now we want to transition that from primarily focused on network to really getting down to that application layer and implementing phishing resistance multi-factor authentication. Um, we also are going to be focused on continuing to cover our, the remainder of our data so normalizing data and encrypting the rest of the data, a lot of, you know, data, 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 right? So we're protecting networks, but we need to focus on data and in cyber with the continuous monitoring tools that we have in place, we get a lot of data and we need to be able to normalize it and respond to it. And so that's one of our focuses going into this fiscal year. Laser focused and uh, very crisp. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Paul. Top priorities for you all, top priorities that you're seeing, what's the demand signal that you're getting right now uh, that the community is focusing on? Yeah, I think quite frankly, it, there's kind of two camps with zero trust. There's um, folks that haven't done a whole lot yet, right? And they mm -hmm. need some help getting started, quite frankly. Um, and the second camp is they've done a lot and they're looking for ways of improving, right? And I kind of alluded to this earlier, but how do I extend the success I've had in certain areas, you know, to other areas in my infrastructure. Um, here at Palo Networks, we, we've done zero trust pretty extensively internally. We have a, a program called First Customer where we actually have deployed all of the tools that, that we produce internally with our InfoSec team. And we've implemented zero trust controls using those tools. Uh, so I think we have a lot to offer in terms of helping our customers um, apply those best practices. Someone mentioned, you know, it's not a product, obviously, and it's not just a tool. It's a lot of it's the methodology and it's really how you apply those tools that you have. Um, so I think that's really the main thing is looking at those two different, um, that bifurcation of customers, you know, the ones that haven't really done a lot and the ones that are very mature and just kind of helping them move the needle really around zero trust. Fantastic. Gerald, top two priorities for you over there at HHS. So definitely is inventory of data and making sure we've categorized it right and understanding that baseline of the data. So that mm -hmm. I've mentioned that before, no, but also... Not also taking the tools that we have and bringing that telemetry in and building a methodology on that so i can understand what an operational risk posture is and then by having those tools integrated i'll be able to use that dynamically later 
So we mm -hmm. want to make sure that we understand what telemetry we have, bring that data together so that we can bring uh, what I call a confidence or a risk score around things. That would be like your patching, all those types of things, and the life equipment, all of those, so we can understand the things that we own and the things and what we kind of look like across. And even that even uh, equates to bringing in the cloud telemetry and logs and things like that. And understanding at an enterprise level, what does that, what do we look like overall? So we can start understanding that data and how can we use it um, as we move forward in a more dynamic fashion as we go towards our zero trust journey. Really tough to, uh, to crank forward if you don't have a really solid baseline. Tony, top priority for Lookout and sort of uh, what, what, uh, what your customers are, are asking you to focus on. Sure. Um, first and foremost, I think continue to be a trusted advisor. And mm -hmm. while this is a uh, um, uh, difficult and transformational undertaking for the agencies, we want to try to help them focus uh, on use cases and protecting the data and then, and then that, that helps to generate the overall plan. And then, then you can work backwards and begin to look at what types of technologies help fulfill those requirements, as opposed to looking at technologies or point solutions, things like that. And then second, I, I think um, because this is such a large undertaking, I think there, there will be many agencies, you know, Paul alluded to some that have not, uh, are not off to a quick start and have a bit of work to do. Um, the, the one barrier to entry, I think for some of those agencies can be how, how do, do they have the, the, the skills and the depth of personnel to take that on. So we're also working with the, uh, the integrator community to, um, um, in absence of large, um, government programs that are already on the street and active, I think there will be mm -hmm. opportunities for the SI community to, to walk in because there will be many different vendors involved in, 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 in providing a zero trust architecture. Um, so, uh, an SI is probably well suited to provide that to the various agencies. So we're, we're putting a lot of energy into that as well. Yeah, no doubt that uh, at the beginning of the, uh, of the effort, uh, it was a little daunting, right? Very overwhelming for a lot of agencies. And I think they're, they're all just starting to get fully calibrated so that they can start to focus on, okay, now we've got some concrete steps we can start to, to step forward on. All right, we're gonna take another short break and we're gonna be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. The recent executive order and OMB strategy have federal agencies moving toward a zero-trust cybersecurity model fast. Palo Alto Networks, trusted partner to federal agencies, has the technology and experience to guide your agency's zero-trust journey. Our enterprise and cloud offerings can protect the government's mission in civilian and defense operating environments while supporting your agency's zero-trust strategy and implementation. Join Palo Alto Networks' VP of Public Sector and retired Major General John Davis as he talks to federal leaders about strategy and best practices to accelerate your zero-trust journey. Everyone is working everywhere, and data goes with you. On endpoints, to the cloud, and everywhere in between, Lookout delivers an integrated endpoint-to-cloud security solution giving you full visibility, keeping data secure no matter where it's stored, how it is transmitted, or who has access, helps your agency provide granular and dynamic zero-trust. Lookout is available through Kerasoft, Learn more at kerasoft.com slash lookout. Moving to a hybrid multi-cloud infrastructure means your resources are also likely scattered throughout multiple IT environments with varying levels of visibility and control. Without context, it's difficult to know if you're making the right decision with your data. With IBM's Zero Trust Security Strategy, your organization can increase their cyber resiliency and manage the risks of a disconnected business environment, all while securely connecting users to the right data at the right time. 
For more information on IBM cybersecurity solutions, go to dlt.com slash government dash product slash IBM. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about zero trust. We're getting into priorities. Top two priorities is what we were looking at for this year. Matt, do you want to give us your top two priorities? I know you have a lot of them. <laughs> give, us a, give us the top two. Sure. Well, my priorities break down into a technical and a programmatic. From a technical mm-hmm. perspective, uh, definitely want to continue to uh, mature the business rules around data access. Uh, we've got a fairly sophisticated identity credentialing and access management enterprise. Um, we, I think we have a fairly mature data governance process, given what we do and the sensitivity of the data that we protect. Uh, where we, we're moving forward now is on building those attribute access controls, attribute-based access controls and uh, communities of interest around that to sort of adjudicate what access to what data, to what person at what time uh, and in what context, right? So we've talked a little bit about um, the, the, the dimension of mobility. Um, the IC does embrace aspects of mobility and certainly internal mobility across the intelligence community of its 18 members. Uh, so understanding who's accessing what under what persona and what location for what reason, uh, I think that's an opportunity for us to continue to mature those rules, uh, to refine those rules. Uh, programmatically, uh, one of the main priorities for us, especially in my role, sort of trying to orchestrate the intelligence community cyber programs, is to program resources. You know, we've done this analysis of our data, we've done this enumeration of our users, we, uh, we characterize our endpoints, uh, we know what now the, the pillars of zero trust, the dimensions and the requirements are, forecasting that in terms of a resource plan and building the rigor into a cost schedule performance-based outcomes uh, is still uh, still work to do. Uh, you know, and we we found ourselves marketing and communicating uh, communicating like Gerald was talking about. Mm-hmm. We've successfully convinced our leaders that zero trust is not something we buy; it's something we do. And therefore, the plan in order to achieve those outcomes, um, then we where we can show our work. You know, so we can show that where we're going and what states of maturity and what are the milestones that we should measure to ensure accountability. Sounds very crisp and very focused, and uh, um, we certainly wish you the best of luck on that journey. Akiba, top two priorities that IBM Security Federal is focused on. Yeah, well, I think priority number one is um, really working with the the CISOs and the CIOs and the organizations that we that we work with to really get across this as a mission strategy, not a security strategy, and to really embed that into the mindset of the way organizations operate. And then all the things that layer underneath of that, obviously with implementations and, and other things as well, but really helping at the top as well as you know on the ground, if you will, of, of implementing. That's kind of priority number one for us and helping people move on with their roadmaps. Priority number two, um, I, I, I can't take credit for coining it, but uh, cybersecurity as a team sport is an analogy that I love um, in the sense that it really does take, a, it does take a village, it takes a community. And so the public-private partnerships are another key priority for us. So we're involved with CISA's JCDC. We're also with the, uh, I think Paul brought up earlier, NIST and CCOE, where we're doing, we're actually implementing our technologies together and the vendors are looking at integration patterns. You know, those of us that compete in certain aspects are working together to come with integration patterns and documenting those best practices um, around zero trust architectures. And so those types of efforts with Open Security Alliance, those types of efforts of public-private partnership, and also internationally, I spend a good amount of time actually doing that as well in how we collaborate um, uh, around the globe. And I think that is an important um, element and a key priority for me personally, but also for IBM and how we contribute uh, in these ways, as well as with, you know, uh, skills 
and building cyber skills and, and the dealing with the shortage of skills that we have in the marketplace. So all of those are areas in our sort of, I would put under our public-private <laughs> partnership umbrella that are a key priority for us. Definitely a global issue. Uh, Going to talk about lessons learned. Top lesson learned. Matt, you all are an early adopter of a lot of this capability, rolling these frameworks out. Top lesson learned that you'd like to share with the community. Uh, <clears throat> understanding the definition of done, there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt out there about zero trust. What does it mean? What is it not? Uh, having a, a, a well-communicated plan in terms of when we talk about ZTNA, we mean this. When we talk about this pillar, we mean that. That lexicon, that shared understanding of what uh, what we're after here is critical. And I think if uh, I think people will flounder until they've laid out some of those basics in terms of definitional work. This community loves to measure, and uh, um, what gets measured gets done. But uh, when you're on a journey, right, that's uh, it's a little bit different of a situation. So we certainly do appreciate uh, that uh, that. That, uh, that explanation there. Tanya, lessons learned as your uh, top lesson learned as you're rolling out this capability. So, so along the lines of what Matt mentioned, it's, it's communicate, 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 and understand. Um, so it's establishing that consistent definition and lexicon upfront and definition. It is early and frequent communication with our customers and our stakeholders to get their buy-in because much of what we're doing, we're, we say zero trust, but there's a lot of pillars and methodology underneath that. So we need to get buy-in and get buy-in early. So we engage with our customers early. We make sure that they understand the value proposition of the uh, implementation and solutions that we're doing to get us to a strong zero trust architecture. And then we move into a centralized management approach and common um, commonality underneath implementing that. The, the other lesson though, if I can share two with you is that, you know, with the issuance of all the mandates and the concise timeframe by when we needed to implement, I think I mentioned earlier before, we left the gates running, right? We were trying to implement within the timeframe. So we moved away from our fundamental program and project management approaches to clearly defining definitions and goals and priorities up front. So we had to take a step back and establish what we call a fusion team. So we dedicated PM resources for zero trust methodologies, as well as fusion teams comprised of our architecture community, our cybersecurity community, and our operational community to really define the direction we were heading, establish goals and metrics, and stick to it. A lot of times we wanted to implement existing capabilities because with all these requirements, we had a relatively flat budget to implement. So we invest, we leveraged our investments that we already had in place and tried to make them fit and spent a lot of time outside of our project management plans, not following the, the schedule that we established. So we invested a lot of time trying to make something fit that didn't. We had to you know, follow the plan cut our ties when the solution didn't work and move on to a better viable solution. Focus on the, the task at hand and not just chasing the dates. A good catch there. Gerald, uh, no question, as, as all these uh, panel members, you have a, quite a mastery here and quite a bit of experience. Give us the top lesson learned that you uh, would like to impart with the community. So it takes a village, that, that was one. Um, and then communications, I, I utterly agree with both of those. Um, and when it takes a village, it takes the organization. It's not just the IT problem. Mm -hmm. um, network, network, network. We all have similar problems. We all have similar challenges. We, we've all learned some best practices. There's a lot of working groups. I co-chair one at the federal, I co-chair one at a nonprofit. 
there's a lot of great things going out there. So if you don't know, ask somebody because um, uh, there's a lot of great lessons learned from those. And we're bringing a lot of good technologies together. Um, the NCCOE was mentioned. Um, there's other projects too that I know going on about some integration labs. So there's some great things going on. So definitely network, there's people, we're all working together. I've briefed a lot um, of other CIOs and CISOs uh, in the past, as well as foreign government people that are trying to accomplish this as well. So definitely utilize your network because you will get some lessons learned. And, you know, I've seen some project plans and things from some others. And, you know, there's plagiarized some things, you know, that I've learned from. And it, don't just make this a technology project. Um, it is not just a technology project. We already talked about governance, policy, methodology. You, you have to understand what your risk tolerances are because you need to build those thresholds so you can take the appropriate actions with those policies you put in place. So don't make this a technology project. Technology is the easy part, I think, but it's those policy governance and processes and procedures and th risk thresholds that you need to put in place. So network and the journey and everyone's on the same journey so uh that that's the uh, i think the advantage that the entire community has well uh, we only have a few more moments and we always like to wrap it up with uh, sort of a little bit of a tease on the future tony we're going to start with you uh you are absolutely right in the middle of the fabric of this uh of this effort uh and certainly look out right there with you um, give us a, a sense of what, 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 what are you all seeing as far as the demand signal that you're getting? What, what is it, what do you, what, what's the expectation of what's going to look like in, in two th or three years when you're looking around this community in regards to this particular journey that we're on? Sure. Yeah. Great question. Um, first and foremost, I think telework is here to stay, right? So that mm -hmm. has a major impact on, on everything and, and really goes into the fabric of, of zero trust and, and is going to force people to, to think of it in those elements, right? So the, the network perimeter is gone. It's any device, any network, any user, anywhere, and, and all those things have to be, have to be put in place. I think also, um, you know, while the ultimate goal of zero trust is really to, to provide security, it, uh, the organizations that are involved, uh, it goes so much more beyond the, the CISO organization. So it, it, uh, it, it brings a lot of different groups together that may not have worked as closely as they have in the past. You've got network infrastructure, you know, potential VPN replacement, um, legacy apps, legacy government data centers. You've got app and, and cloud organizations. You've got mobile and end user computing organizations. And of course, you know, the, 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 uh, the CISO organization, all of them have to come together to work together to participate in, in, in rolling out zero trust solutions. And I think once uh, those organizations um, begin to come and work more closely together, they will stay more closely aligned to the future because I think as everybody believes here and has stated that uh, zero trust is, is a journey, we'll probably, it's something you never get to. You're always, you're always chasing it, it's always changing. Um, so these organizations are going to have to stay in lockstep. And while telework is, is the new big thing and it's here to stay, there, there will be something beyond that in three to five years that will be, again, more transformational. So, um, and, and what Zero Trust looks like three to five years from now will probably be something completely different, but we, we keep striving to get there. Um, and, and it's exciting to see. I mean, I think there's some really great plans that the, the government's laid out and there's a lot of work to do, but, um, you know, as a, as a, uh, someone in the private sector and as a taxpayer, I'm, I'm extremely encouraged by, you know, what I think the future holds. Tony, we appreciate that insight. Akiba, uh, what's that report going to look like two or three years from now when you, uh, when you produce it? 
Yeah, well, I hope it finally starts to take a, a turn down where the cost of a data breach starts to come down because we mm -hmm. have because we have now implemented, you know, along this journey. That's my great hope. I, I will not predict it or put money on it yet, but I, okay. I am. Uh, and that's my great hope. I think, um, look, I think in a couple of years, obviously, we're going to be uh, more mature along this journey in the, in the sense that I think a lot of the, the pillars of the domains, you know, we'll see more standard capabilities implemented across all of the agencies. What I really hope, um, as, as we sort of talked about here, is, is there is more of the silo busting, that there is a different um, way of thinking about this in the future. There was one CISO uh, in a short sentence said, you know, we need to be a partner, not an auditor. Um, we need to change the perception of security inside the organizations. And so that's what I hope as we go down this journey and as it becomes more understood in the importance of protecting the mission, um, that it that it is uh, that it is more woven into the to the fabric, if you will, right? And that it is more of an aligned um, strategy for the organization. And so that's what I kind of hope we can get there and 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 bust down some of these silos that have always existed. Um, as long as I've been in the IT world, there's always silos, right? And and sure. this this is so transformational. I think it has a chance of really driving true operations across the bear all the the, the parties, for example, that uh, that uh, Tony just uh, just walked through. I think uh, we're all looking forward to that. Paul, how about from uh, where Palo Alto sits? What's it yeah, going mean, to look like in a couple of years? I think in general, I think we had kind of this enlightenment phase with zero trust, right? And understand the benefits of it and that it was needed. I think we're in sort of the building phase right now and the architecting phase and putting the controls in place. I think the future is really exciting in a couple of ways. One is that um, I think we're going to get a lot better at um, being more intelligent about the way we evolve zero trust and the way we do things like continuous monitoring and leveraging things like AI as an example to do things in a more autonomous fashion. Um, I think that's very exciting to me, at least in terms of some of the things we can do now in the SOC and automation um, orchestration and just, you know, how we apply AI. The second thing is, I think the result of that, you know, getting better at the monitoring, getting better at the enforcement using modern technologies, I think there'll be less friction, quite frankly. Um, and that's really going to trickle down to the users. So they're going to notice security a lot less. Um, I think it's going to impact them less. I think they'll be more productive. So I think those are two things I see happening is just really us applying um, technology in a better fashion, evolving the way we do zero trust. And then that kind of net impact is going to be just a lot less friction for users, a lot more seamless. Um, they'll notice it a lot less. Uh, I think we all look forward to that day. Gerald, when you're looking around the IG organization in two years, what are we going to expect to see from uh, not just from an IT perspective, but from uh, from an operator's perspective? Yeah, so one of the things I always talk about is being effective. Effective and compliance are two different things. I think we're, we're making ourselves more effective at our security. Um, I think we've measured, we've done good at measuring compliance. But I think this is really getting us towards effectiveness. I think also zero trust in its true form. I think it's, it's an enabler. I think Paul just talked, uh, alluded to some of that. I think you know being able to allow for BYOD and and what policies you put in place to allow for that. I think it allows for some modernization. Um, continuous ATOs. You know, not doing that snapshot in time. But if you're continuously monitoring, you're continuously understanding what your system's uh, security posture is because you have to monitor all of that. Um, so. I think I think zero trust is really a modernization enabler um, if done right and definitely makes us more effective at security and not just compliance. Amen from the user population on that one for sure. Tanya, you have a lot of moving parts over there. Uh, it sounds like you're uh, you're um, uh, implementing a variety of pieces and parts. 
what does it look like two to three years from now? What does EPA look like? If I'm a, if I'm a new employee coming into the EPA, what can I expect to see? Right. I think you, um, I know you will expect to see an ability to work from anywhere. Um, we are in a very mobile workforce, so you will have the ability to have the same work experience at home as you would if you were physically to come into the office. Um, there's a lot of collaboration in how you collaborate with your colleagues, um, how you collaborate with your colleagues, not just internally, but across the federal government. I see um, zero trust being a term that uh, is endearing to everyone. Everyone recognizes and knows what it is, but it's also the culture shift to understanding. It's not something that's temporary, but the methodology is underneath it. it it's here to stay. Um, I see a lot of continuous and learning and improvement and maturation of our processes, uh, moving away from the uh, rigid three-year processes or one-year processes to understanding that this is a culture. Right. And the, the culture is protecting our assets and safeguarding that information and doing so continuously. Um, and I hope that these processes um, will see true transformation across the federal government, enabling um, federal wide responses to um, detection of uh, cybersecurity attacks, but then also that we will see a downward trend in um, successful cybersecurity incidents. Yeah, there's a good catch across the federal wide. Uh response there. I know Jen and her team is really working very hard on uh, ensuring that's going to happen. Matt, if I'm a freshly minted analyst over at the IC, uh, am I going to be able to sit at my coffee table and, uh, and uh, 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 get on the high side and, and do some uh, searching of a, a needles and a stack of needles and uh, <clears throat> trying to protect this nation? Uh, what I can sure we expect so. in, in, in a couple of years from now? Of course, I'm exaggerating there, but uh, what, what, what's the, uh, what, what sort of the marker look like two to three years from now? Yeah, I, um, I sure hope so. And I don't know what the time horizon is, but um, if possible, I'd love for zero trust not to be special. And what I mean by that is it's just instinctive. We do it as a natural course of our business. Right now we approach, uh, you know, logistics and sparing and resilience and identity and all these kinds of things as core functions of how we design and build IT. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to be at the place where zero trust is just naturally part of our programming. It's part of how we approach uh, program management and program management reviews. It's how we approach accountability. It's part of our conversation with leadership. And it's just another discipline of information technology uh, that we instinctively know. And so for that new analyst, I would love for that new analyst to start understanding this is going to be a zero trust environment. I'm going to have these attributes. I'm going to have these accesses. I'm going to have these responsibilities. And it's just part of how we're doing business. Now, years ago, uh, you know, we didn't go out and, and create big server uh, client server architectures. We sort of transitioned there. And now we don't think about stuff like that or the future of API enabled uh, microservices. Uh, but um, I'd love for zero trust to be the thing that we just do. And it's not the kind of thing we convene panels about because we all know it cold. Fantastic. And that's a good way to wrap it up. Hey, I want to thank each one of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to, to join us and fighting the good fight and doing everything that you're doing every day. I'd also like to thank the sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I want to thank you, the listening audience that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group.
If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.